are listening to the 90 Days Later podcast with me, Anna Charles. This is episode 37. Welcome to the 90 Days Later podcast, where I show you how to stop over drinking in 90 days without missing out on life. If you're not an alcoholic, but fed up with saying yes to a drink when you mean to say no, you're in the right place. Hi all, and welcome back to the podcast. All right, got a special for you today. And I'm going to say in advance that it might lead to some uncomfortable listening, right? Just want to give that warning, a heads up warning. However, if you listen and take action on what I'm going to tell you today, then you have the capacity to create huge leaps forward in your relationship with alcohol as you change your relationship with alcohol. And in fact, I would argue in any and all aspects of your life. Because today I've chosen to explore the topic of victimhood, how it presents itself and how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. I told you, didn't I? A little bit uncomfortable. But let's back up a little here. You're right, we've all been there when we talk about victimhood. Um, we've all been there feeling like there's so much stuff going on in your life, right? Asking, why me? I even woke up this morning actually saying, why me, to a particular situation that I'm dealing with. Um, And we do that, but we also say things like, we we compare ourselves with other people. We feel as though we're this plaything in some massive game for which we don't understand the rules. I mean, lately in the world, there's been so much going on at the macro level, not to mention what how that trickles down into our day-to-day lives that you could almost feel justified in staking your claim as to why you feel you're in the crosshairs of life somehow right there's a target on your back you're being targeted on all fronts in your work with your drinking in your life in your relationships in everything and this can lead to you feeling justified in feeling sorry for yourself And all the reasons why all of this stress and pressure and overwhelm and all these mad and bad things are making you drink, right? That's when we utter those famous words, I need a drink. I used to say that all the time. Or you can justify as to why all these things are just keeping you drinking, right? Maybe you have decreased somewhat and you were making progress, but now kind of there's no no end in sight because of all this stuff that's happening. It's just keeping you drinking. But I'm going to show you today why that is not the case. Yes, that's right, listeners. I'm going to tell you why you are entirely wrong. And that's a good thing. It's good to be wrong occasionally. So if you find yourself walking around saying, why me? And, you know, fill in the blanks is making me drink. This episode is for you. As you may know, if you've been listening for a while, and if you haven't, I encourage you most heartily to go back to episode one and listen from there. The episodes contain golden nuggets all over the place. So if you, as you know, I like to often start my podcast making no assumptions, right? None. I think that's really important. So first, let's talk here about what being a victim, what being in victim mode actually is, so that we're all on the same page. So here's the definition I'm going to go with. If you feel burdened by your life in any way, you are operating in victim mode. Now, it's a passive emotion, What do I mean by that? 
being in victim mode and victimhood, it's something that's happening to you, right? Over which you have, or you feel, or you, you imagine you have no control. You see yourself as a victim of your circumstances. You externalize the cause of your issues. So you basically blame it on something else. Your troubles are down to the economy, your husband, your children, your employer, your next door neighbor, the weather, your car, or basically any external circumstance outside of you. That's what we like to say. That's what we tend to say. But no, that's not so. Because all of these circumstances are neutral. They're neither good nor bad until you choose to have a thought about them. Let me give you an example of this. For instance, your employer might add a new meeting to the calendar. It's eight in the morning, let's say. Let's say they say you can dial in from home as a Zoom meeting. And that's a full hour before you ordinarily would start work. Now, you might think that's a terrible idea because you're going to have to drop off the children to school earlier or find some other way of handling the childcare. So it's a big issue to you. But your co-worker might be equally well pleased about the change because it makes their calendar easier for them to manage. Same circumstance. It's just a meeting at a particular time in the day. It's what you make it mean that affects how you feel and consequently how you act. So that's a good place to start. I would take a look at the areas in your life where you feel frustrated, particularly the areas in your life where you find yourself saying, um, these are the reasons why you would drink, right? It's because of the stress at work or because of what your husband said or because of how your friends aren't supporting you. What are those areas in your life that are frustrating you and causing you to carry on drinking? And then I want you to just look at this objectively, right? Put on your lab coat, pretend you're a scientist, step out of your body for a while and see if you are in fact creating a story in each of these situations that puts you in the position of victim. So for instance, if you find yourself saying, well, my spouse isn't being supportive because he's refusing to stop drinking, right? You're saying in effect that you're not, you can't stop drinking because of what your husband's doing, which is patently not true. If your husband suddenly decided to take up the sport of, I don't know, paragliding, something that would terrify me personally, that doesn't then mean <laughs> that you have to take up that sport of paragliding, right? If your husband says to you how much he hates knitting and it's your favorite hobby, that doesn't mean that you give up knitting. So why is it in drinking that if you say you can't stop drinking because your husband won't stop too? See how that's going? Yeah, okay. All right, so look at those stories. See if you are putting yourself in as the position of victim. It's this, this insight is the place to start, right? This insight and awareness. Second point I want to talk about. This is another one, might be a little uncomfortable. Self-pity. You know you're acting like a victim when you move into the territory of self-pity. Because self-pity is all about seeing ourselves as the victims of our circumstances. We feel as if something should be different in our lives. 
we not only externalize the cause of our issues, and as I, as I was just talking right now about external circumstances, but when we're feeling self-pity, we, we go ahead and we're ready to accept defeat even when we haven't even lost. It's so bewildering to me when I see people doing this. Right, I see this a lot when people are working towards a goal. Now, notably, the goal to achieve freedom around alcohol. That's what this podcast is all about. But I would offer that this can show up in areas, other areas, large and small in your life. From things like finishing a book, which previously for me was a humongous goal that I had, all the way down to facing the need to do a deep clean of the kitchen, frankly, right? What I see people do is that they do some work towards their goal and they're doing well. And, you know, maybe it's not all positive, but up and down, but they're still doing well and they're, they're making progress at least and they're starting to feel really good. But then the judgment comes in. They realise they're not making as much progress as perhaps they like. They get impatient. And in this case of drinking, for instance, maybe they're still drinking, but they're drinking more than they think they should and by the way, actually, I should pause here for a, a little segue, a little um, detour on the word should. It's really powerful, this. It's for life. If whenever you find yourself that you're shoulding yourself, I should do this, I should have done that, I should be wherever, more further ahead, pause to see what's going on. When we say should, that is so often a gateway word to feeling guilt and shame. I should be drinking just two glasses by now, a week by now. But instead, you know, I'm drinking a bottle still, whatever. This sort of thinking completely negates any progress you've made. I want you to just pause for a second and see how that shows up for you. Okay. All right. So hang on. where was I before I went down that should uh, detour? Oh, yes. When people are working towards a goal and then they start to judge their progress as not being good enough, because of all the things they should have done or achieved or uh, the milestones they should have reached by now. Rather than treating all of this as just steps along the way to their goal to be worked through, right? It's completely neutral. It's not brilliant that they've um, not achieved it yet and it's not terrible they haven't achieved it yet either. What happens is that people start accepting and kind of claiming defeat ahead of time. And oftentimes when they're at the point when they're actually going to really start to make significant breakthroughs on changing and pro reprogramming their drinking habit. What happens is your impatience is there demanding results already. And that's being dressed up as a reason for you to start indulging in self-pity, right? You're likely, however, going to see this as a legitimate issue and a legitimate response. So be aware of that, right? This is not going to stand out for you as, aha, you know, I see you hiding their self-pity. But I really want you to be able to spot this and to get over it. Why? Because when you let this kind of thing go, when you let this kind of judgment as to where you are and what you've achieved go, that's when you start to feel like you have as much patience as you need to get the result you want. And that's really important. Because otherwise, here's what happens. 
If I start feeling sorry for myself because I'm not getting the results I want quickly enough, what do I end up doing? Have a think about that. Well, I'm going to end up giving up, right? Because I'm thinking this isn't going quickly enough. I'm bored of this. And when I give up, I then ensure that I never get the results. And then what happens? Because that's not where it ends. This not only will absolutely guarantee that I don't get what I want, this will prove that I should definitely feel sorry for myself about that. It's very sneaky, this emotion of self-pity. It comes in and you don't even notice it. You're in, you know, you've got the hat of victim on before you even realise it. You're going to start feeling bad about yourself and for yourself. It's kind of like the ultimate permission to feel and act like a victim. That's what self-pity does for you. Have a think about this, actually. Have you ever noticed that when someone else is going to do something difficult or horrible, or maybe they're going to go and sit, you know, or take the driving test or something, your mind might say, oh gosh, I'm so glad that's not me, right? I'm so glad I'm not having to go through that. Well, that in effect with self-pity and victimhood is what your brain is saying about you. It's saying, oh my gosh, it's so awful to be you. It stinks to be going through this, to be learning how to feel the discomfort of the urges and not drink. So then not only are you going through this situation, actually living this situation that you're claiming is so horrible. So in this case, uh, feeling the urges to drink, but then you're also feeling horrible about feeling horrible. You see how this goes? It's not for nothing that we talk about wallowing in self-pity. Self-pity is one of the most indulgent emotions that will not give you any kind of positive momentum or action. It wants attention from yourself and from others and sits you squarely in the realm of victimhood. Next, I want to talk about exaggeration how we and how we use our words and why it's so important to watch our words this is so important and so easy to ignore right I want you to watch how you talk about yourself and your life and in specifics about your drinking this has an impact a silent impact our brain is always there watching and seeing what's going on are you exaggerating the circumstances in your life as being uber powerful so here's an example uh, from sort of a, a regular work example, because I find sometimes using examples outside of the area of drinking makes it easy to makes it easier and more uh, to understand. Think about the phrase, I have a million things to do, right? We use that often as a bit of a throwaway. Or think about when people say, oh, and I have so much to do today. And then they say, listen to my day. And listen to what happened to me and listen to this thing that happened and listen to that thing that happened and listen to this other thing, right? So you're talking with that person and they're telling you about all this stuff that's been going on for them. What's the usual human response to this? What would you say, for instance, if a friend of yours said this to you? You'd probably console them and agree that things seem or sound very hard. But how about this for an alternative approach? How about what would happen? How about if you said, hmm, that doesn't sound so bad. You could probably do twice as much. What is their reaction going to be? 
They might likely be angry at you and they'll probably drop into self-pity because they're like, wait a minute. What? Hang on. I've just told you all this stuff. Now, why are you attacking me like that? Right. They won't expect it because by posturing about all this stuff that they've got on their plate or the stuff that's going on, they're actually creating drama. Right. So that they can justify their excuse making. And yet they're also putting themselves in a position to feel sorry for themselves. Then I want you to think about how about this? I offer this. Think about how we exaggerate right? When we say things like everything's going wrong or no one's supporting me. Really? No, that is life. But, and we might laugh at it. We might say, yeah, of course I didn't mean every, everything or everybody, but this is sloppy language. And when we use sloppy language, it does make us feel more overwhelmed and more victim-y. You know, by lumping together everything that's going on in one mass of problems, it can end up making you feel worse and you really won't be taking action on any of them from that position. Consider this. Let's say you say there are six things in my life that I need to sort out. Now that feels a whole lot better than saying there's all this stuff happening. Similarly, saying I'm willing to do this one thing that Anna suggests to help me change my drinking habit feels a lot better than I haven't got a clue where to start to change my drinking. Right, so get really specific with your words. As my next point, I want to end with some comments on the danger of comparing yourself to others because this is really a super highway to victimhood if you don't watch out. And when we feel this way, we console ourselves with alcohol because it stops these feelings of being less than. Now, I knew someone, I'll call her Maria, who was fearful because she thought another woman in her circle was prettier than her. And this made Maria feel less than, especially because this other woman, who also happened to be her friend, also earned more money and didn't have any kind of uh, anxiety or difficulty just drinking one glass of wine, right? The thing that Maria wanted the most. So Maria began to look for ways in which she considered herself to be better than this prettier friend, right, the friend who didn't struggle with wine, in part, as it turns out, so that Maria could compensate for how bad she felt by having those thoughts, right? She was having these thoughts about her friend and then she was feeling terrible about having those thoughts. Weirdly, all the thoughts about her friend were positive, right, that she was prettier, that she seemed really well put together, that it was amazing that she was able just to drink a glass of wine and leave it at that. But instead of enjoying these positive thoughts and being happy for her friend, what Maria did was use these against herself so that she even felt, then she even felt more terrible. So not only now was she less pretty than her friend and clearly had less control around alcohol, but she was a judgmental person to boot as well. And that just made her feel worse. But life isn't a competition, my friend. If you're listening to this and thinking that sounds like me and those are all the reasons, you know, those reasons all contribute to my drinking. Rather than Maria comparing and judging herself and putting herself in the position of victim and being lesser than in some way, right, it's okay for her friend to be fantastic. And it's also okay for Maria to be fantastic too, right? There isn't just one winner. So how do you do that? I hear you asking, comparing myself, comparing despair, it's very easy to slip into. 
I would say try putting, and that's okay, at the end of any comparative statements you might find yourself making. She's prettier than I am, and that's okay. She has a better paid job than I am, and that's okay. She has more control around alcohol than I do, and that's okay. She drinks less than I do, and that's okay. Because no human being is better than another. And besides, there's always going to be someone else who's prettier, richer, taller, whatever it is, than you are, right? So this isn't a competition. One isn't better than the other. So in summary, if you're someone who feels sorry for themselves and if you create an emotion, this emotion of self-pity with your thinking around your drinking in particular, but actually any area of your life, and if you're blaming external circumstances for where you are and what you do, right? That's things like my spouse drinks. So of course, you know, I'm going to need to feel the need to drink. Change your thinking. That's what you do, my friends. Change your thinking and the way that you view yourself. This is an inside job. This is so important because otherwise you're going to end up failing on purpose because you're going to be giving up ahead of time, right? Because you people don't make um, massive, take massive action from a feeling of wallowing in self-pity. And when you feel these emotions, this is a situation where alcohol is going to often become a default subconscious choice, which is going to lead you to pushing all these feelings of victimhood, self-pity and so on aside, which means you're never going to address them and change things. So instead of thinking that someone or something should give you more, or that you're where you are because it's what hap something that happened to you, you have to start owning that everything you have is your own creation, no matter what you suppose should be happening. And for those of you out there who are saying, no, 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 but really you don't understand, Anna, this thing happened or this person did this or whatever it is, I would offer, even if that were true, how is that serving you, right? Is that serving you to take, is it inspiring you to take the action, to make the changes, to get out of feeling like a victim? Or just the fact of you insisting on that is almost more proof that you are still sort of brandishing those victimhood credentials. And, and where does that get you? Doesn't get you to where you want to be with your goals. So what, what good is it sort of holding on to that? That's what I would offer. When you accept responsibility, for your life, that's when you start to make changes. You drink more than you want to. Well, that's because you've taught yourself to. You can control that. You can change that. You desire wine more than your friend and that makes you feel bad comparing yourself to your friend, but it's because you've taught yourself to. If you take responsibility for that, you can control your outcome because there's no, really no reason for you to feel sorry for yourself any of you listening to this, you're you, totally unique. There's no need for all this wallowing in victim mode. It doesn't help. So don't compare, don't exaggerate, right? Don't say it's worse, things are worse than they are. Don't create drama. Don't think you're less than, right? Go and get yours, go and get your life. Prove it to yourself. If you're not happy with your drinking, own it, do something about it and don't give up until you're where you want to be. You are in control 
always. Show up for the curriculum that is your life today, right? Even if it's hard, go and get it. And if you want to achieve your results in the fastest possible time, well supported, if you want to get that freedom around alcohol you've been seeking, hire me. I help people stop over drinking. I help people achieve freedom around alcohol. Whether that means you just want to cut back, you want to quit altogether or something in between. It's totally accessible to you. You can book a call using the link in the show notes. And doing that, my friends, means you are the uber non-victim. You're taking control of your own destiny. That is open to you right this very second. Okay, that's it for now. If you have questions, you can, as always, contact me on anna at 90dayslater.co. If you would like to join my mailing list, I send out uh, every Friday an email, a coaching thought for my list that it's just for them. I don't post anywhere else. And these thoughts are golden. If you want to receive those, you can go ahead and sign up at 90dayslater.co forward slash list. And in the meantime, I will see you next week. If you like what you're learning in the podcast and you want to take the work further and achieve total freedom around alcohol, let's talk. I help my clients stop reaching for that first glass of wine the moment 6pm rolls around and they don't miss out on life. And we do it in 90 days. The effect is permanent. Email me for more information on anna at 90dayslater.co. And if you did enjoy the show, I'd really appreciate if you'd leave a rating and review to help others find the 90 Days Later podcast.